0: As always this episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company Horns of Odin. Now at Horns of Odin we specialize in making handcrafted bespoke drinking horns. But that's not all we do. On the website we stock a huge range of items from other independent small business people. So we have jewellery, leatherwork, blacksmithing and woodwork. This week We've restocked on our wooden runestones and we've also added some beautiful hand-pyrographied candle holders to the website. So head over to the website www.hornsofordening.com to check out the full range. Don't forget that if you use the code HORNS10 that you get 10% off the website and that's exclusive for the listeners of the podcast. So head over to the website www.hornsofordening.com and use the code HORNS10 to get 10% off. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Things From Another World. Now, Things From Another World are an amazing website which stock over 30,000 pop culture products, and they've just added 1,700 new comics and items to their website. They stock everything from comics, toys, statues, apparel, graphic novels, and tons of other collectibles from all the major manufacturers, including DC, Marvel, Dark Horse, Hasbro, McFarlane, Tokyo Pop, and Disney. They also stock the full Diamond Distributor catalog. Basically, this means that you can pick up the newest comic books as soon as they hit the shelves. Not only do they stock the newest comic books, but they also have a huge stock of classic graphic novels. And if you don't know what to get, a couple of my personal favorites are Sandman, Preacher, Hellblazer, and Watchmen. And they also offer shipping worldwide, which means you can take advantage of what they offer no matter where you are. So head over to their website by clicking the link in the show notes and find the perfect gift for a loved one or a cheeky little treat for yourself. Remember to click the link in the show notes so they know that we sent you. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our other sponsor, Idle Sleep. Now, Idle Sleep are one of the top mattress companies in the USA, and they offer the longest risk-free trial on the market, a whopping 18 months. Now, that's 548 days which is five times longer than the other top competitors. Their best-selling mattress is the Hybrid. Now, the Hybrid has revolutionary buoyancy foam, which has, which offers 400% more support than regular memory foam. And it also has 1,000 smart support coils to give you the best support and the best night's sleep possible. They also have double-sided mattresses. Now, this used to be common until mattress companies saw a way to double their profits, Now, Idle believe in value and longevity, which is why they're bringing it back. So flip it over and you get up to double the life. They offer free and easy returns with no questions asked. Right now, Idle Sleep are running a huge fall sale and are offering a whopping 25% off storewide, plus two free sheets, plus two free pillows. So to get all of that, all you've got to do is enter the code fall 25 at checkout so click in the link of the show notes to check out their full range of products and enjoy a great night's sleep and take advantage of that amazing offer remember click the link in the show notes so they know that we sent you right let's get into the show Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrand, co owner of the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Matthias Nordvig.
1: Hello, everybody. Um, yeah, today we uh, have a very interesting guest. We have Ethan Stark on the uh, podcast. Ethan is a member of the Troth and also a member of the Troth's High Reader. Um, that is the High Council, as far as I understand. And just to give you a, a brief introduction to what the troth is, the troth is a uh, also true a heathen organization in the U.S. Uh, practicing, well, different variations of Nordic, Germanic, uh, uh, polytheism, neo-paganism. And aside from that, uh, Ethan, you also uh, uh, run uh, Heathens Against Hate. And uh, let's start off with that. Welcome, Ethan. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Before we just jump into that, Matthias, I have to say happy anniversary because it is our one-year anniversary of the podcast. Well, when this airs, it will be. Oh, how awesome. Wow.
1: so. So Congratulations, guys! <laughs> yeah, I feel like Steve, you're we're a you're, married couple. You're our anniversary guests here.
0: <laughs> That's it, yeah. No, just if you do, if you wanted a little added pressure. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, no, yeah, no, no, no pressure at all. Sure,
0: uh, <laughs> no. So yeah, I mean the it, the, <laughs> the years flown by. It's been a crazy year all around, but you know we've gone from kind of releasing episodes whenever we get time to record to now doing you know one a week, pretty consistently. So. Perfect. Yeah. Um so Ethan, tell us a little bit about the like the Heathens Against Hate side of things, the the Facebook group, what it is, what it stands for, what you guys do.
2: Well, uh Heathens Against Hate actually started as a blog back in I believe two thousand and seven. Um and it created a life of its own by having a lot of people, you know, visit this blog and eventually it gained enough of a following that it was picked up and formed itself as as an organization. And what we do today is that we are an advocacy group for inclusive heathenry and for education as well as reform, where we disseminate information um, and, and break down misinformation on heathenry and misappropriation of both Heathen iconography, as well as um, as well as reconstructionist uh, Germanic religion, that has unfortunately been co-opted by extremism. And so, um, our Facebook group is kind of our our online, you know, social platform, if you will. But the organization itself carries um, only a, only a handful of people that are in charge of the moderation of the group and. Um, four managers, myself included, who are actually the 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 face of the of the organization um and so heathens against hate has uh you know several initiatives which also includes um providing um in reach in both uh the prison system as well as um uh, certain mental health facilities um as part of its uh as part of its program and also communication with other organizations such as the Southern Poverty Law Center and uh reaching out to the anti-defamation league and such so that's pretty much what what we uh what we do <laughs>
1: wow <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome
0: absolutely yeah it's it's uh
2: it's a bit of a headache at times, but it's, uh, but it's worth, uh, it's worth it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I'm sure I bet it takes up a lot. I mean, I bet it takes up a lot of your time, um, as, as these things always do.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely, it definitely is and a lot of the time. It's, it's mostly moderating our forums because we, as we have seen, um, the internet is a wonderful is a wonderful environment and a wonderful experiment in 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 human ingenuity. But also, it can be quite a curse because it allows people to, you know, it allows freedom uh, freedom of expression. But also, with that, also comes a little, little bit of you know, there's you hear a lot of a lot of many voices, and so sometimes those voices are. Not particularly welcoming or not particularly conducive to conversation, and so part of it is just kind of you know get get the voices heard, but then kind of take it and kind of consolidate it to a to a more narrow and proper focus you know so that's that's actually the 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 more the most uh time consuming aspect of heathens mm-hmm. against hate is moderating our forums and making sure everybody kind of you know
0: absolutely
1: so i i just want to like for for all the listeners out there uh i'd like to ask um, why is there a need so this might sound like a stupid or basic question but just so everybody gets it like why why is there a need for a group called heathens against hate
2: well the nature of 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 heathenry as a reconstructionist faith where we're piecing together or have been piecing together for Decades for centuries, (laughs) this religion or it started as a spirituality or or as a means of, of of expression. And Matthias, you are you are familiar with how academia works, where you discover things and you revise things and you change things based upon discovery. And when it comes to to religious reconstruction, that happens as well. However. There's a lot more pushback because when it comes to religion, there's this idea of identity and expression that we're all seeking. And so it touches people personally. And so it's not all about facts, it's about what you feel and identify with and creates passion within you. It's you know, in, in religious circles, it's that idea of human flourishing. And that is that is the that is a wonderful outcome to have when one finds a religion the downside of course is the fact that with religious interpretation you have fringe beliefs um oftentimes you would find that and you you you'd find that in in every religion where you have a certain sect or group that is kind of like the the outlying um, of beliefs that have gone to a particular place that the majority have either misunderstood or or do not agree with. And the reason why Heathens Against Hate is in its existence is because there have been both groups within heathenry and outside of heathenry that have... Looked upon particular interpretations of both academia, um, which includes folklore and archaeological and and linguistic studies, and interpreted it in such a way that doesn't is not beneficial to who we are right now in the twenty first century. Um, a lot of it and a lot of it has to do with the extremism, with with the with the alt right, with with white supremacy and And it falls down to this idea of identity, and in order to to protect an identity or to reinforce the identity, there's the skewing or shifting of a of a of a religious or spiritual narrative in order to suit it and so heathens against hate is there to kind of correct it but also provide an avenue for exploration of saying, "Hey, we understand the idea of identity." And you can still have that without any exclusionary practice, and so that's essentially what Heathens Against Hate is is here to you know champion.
0: So, so what do you think the reason is as to why kind of the the, the far right and the neo-Nazi groups have such an attachment to kind of like Viking culture? Or cause it feels like you you can't or you struggle to find like one of the like a neo-Nazi group who doesn't use some sort of runic imagery or some sort of like Viking link. And and I've always kind of struggled with understanding why it's such an attachment to, to like the Viking age and the, the Norse mythology. Um, th- that, that is,
2: that is, that is a three parter podcast. right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, have, we have time. Yeah. There's, there's a whole, there's a whole, there's a whole history when it comes to the development of, this post-industrial romanticized idealism that that came about in the in the 19th and early 20th century uh not just in in the germanic aspect but in europe in general where the idea of identity um was to kind of cement a people and it had developed to a point where identity became Associated with a particular geographical location and then a particular the particular people that were in that specific geographic location, and what had happened was throughout the years and through many exchange of hands, you have this you have this archetype. so if you close your eyes for instance, and I say the word warrior what what is the, like the first things that pop into mind is armor probably a man and you've had that when you were talking for instance with uh 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 with your pod, uh, the podcast with uh Amy Jeffords this idea of of this of the of this masculine you know viking uh viking warrior um and so those particular archetypes are kind of like the driving force of this white idealism and 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 vikings we always see them depicted as you know blonde hair blue eyes particular genetic markings essentially in in the imagery and when you think of of vikings you think of scandinavia you think of these tribes of ma- masculine men led tribal Groups. And this idea kind of piggybacked itself on varied sources of academia back in the day that have since been constantly revised. But they kind of created this idea of what the ideal person is in this particular culture, this idea of what that person should be and how they contribute to that particular society. Like Herder's idea of the Volk. The people, the particular uh, a particular group of people in a particular part of the land, um, that's a, actually where you get that whole blood and soil movement started was taking these ideas of of herder and kind of like running with it. This idea kind of kept on flowing where you had this association with romanticizing the past and fitting it to your particular ideology, to your particular worldview. And I'm going to focus primarily on Nazi Germany here because this was, you know, again, we can talk about the history of of all this, but this is the, the, the closest and most violent rise in this romanticism that turned itself into a very ugly monstrosity. And it's something that, as we have seen, um continues to reverberate and so Nazi Germany is no longer the influence of volkish ideology um remains and it's and it's and it's ingrained with Germanic symbolism and and you and you know we see it with with the with the schwarzsonne the the black sun that was on the marble of 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 a, of a chamber in Vervisbul castle in, uh, uh near Paderborn in Germany, where Himmler and the SS were gathered. And this is the black sun that is very popular among white nationalists and, and even touted in the heathen community and, and, and this whole movement, even within the heathen community, trying to quote unquote, reclaim the swastika because it has this, you know, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a benign symbol and, we can agree that you know if we go back to to the to the east and we go to india like we see it as a benign symbol but that's not what you're using it for and so the, all these very overt um or even subversive kind of attempts to co-opt symbols and co-opt ideology um in order to be closer to a particular group of people and so Yes, some some people can be like avowed neo-Nazis, about white nationalists, but a lot of people genuinely seek spirituality that connects them. And if ancestry connects them, that's great. The problem becomes when that ancestry supersedes all other connections. And it's no longer about it's no longer about the gods. It's no longer about about the land spirits. And and it's not even necessarily about ancestors, it's about it's about your particular ancestors or your particular heritage and heritage doesn't necessarily denote ancestry it doesn't necessarily denote bloodlines heritage is a big term that includes many things other than genetic lineage and so back to your question like you know how do how exactly does you know white nationalism fit in or why why do they co-opt these germanic symbols it's 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 theatrical. It's what grabs you. It's much like any other any other article of, of of fashion. It you know symbols are created to convey a very particular meaning that you your you and your brain and your eyes grasp immediately and create an association. You know, the same thing is like an archetype, a particular image that flashes in your eyes and supposed to attract you. And so, when you have this image of runes and horns and a maiden with with flowing yellow hair and bright blue eyes and 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 whatnot, like this is this is a this is attraction, you know, and 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 this is what brings you in. And then you ask yourself what what's behind all this symbolism, and then the answer varies. If you go into folkish heathen groups, they will give you one answer. If you go to an inclusive group, they will give you a similar answer, but without much of the hate baggage or, or the or the exclusionary baggage that comes with it.
1: Mm. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's really interesting to, to hear you talking about this because there's so much of this uh, that I low-key recognize from Scandinavian culture in and of itself. Go to Copenhagen, and you can go to the City Hall in Copenhagen, and you can see the big reception room where there's even a throne for the uh, the king and and all that stuff, and all around you have these images painted of uh, ancient uh, sagas and heroes, legends, all of this stuff. They're all a bunch of like very blonde, blue-eyed types, right? This was also uh, built in in the early 20th century. Um, I think it was 19, the 1910s uh, that, that this uh, city hall was built. Um, interestingly, by the way, a copy of the, um, city hall, the medieval city hall from Siena in Italy. Uh, so, so go connect the dots if you can guys. Um, but it's like, you know, Vikings, medieval Italy and a bunch of folklore. And yeah, there you go. Um, of power in Copenhagen. Um, but again, yeah. So you have like this, uh, connection of, of our history to the archetype of the blonde person um to the, the the Viking warrior and and thus gets the ball rolling right um it 's not just simply something that is connected to Nazis or to white supremacists for that matter it's also something that I think a lot of Scandinavians inherently sort of associate with ideas of what their past were and I think it's really interesting to consider our uh, recent episode with Stella uh who uh is is a historian working on the uh, genetic projects um and on the viking age What they've all of a sudden realized hey wait a minute the, the, these these vikings that we are we're digging up and and, and taking samples so they actually seem to be uh somewhat more mixed uh genetically than uh than the Scandinavian populations otherwise so um what this really should tell anybody who is a uh connoisseur of history is that the images of history are always created in the present Um, and then you can do that uh, as best or as as uh, amateuristic as possible right based off of the, the the information you have available as as an individual and of course what you can draw from from other sources right um, but I mean, this is a, this is a major problem for, for the representation of Nordic culture, if you ask me in general, um, because it basically m- means, and that, uh, part of the history that, uh, that I, I associate with, that you associate with, um, I mean, we all three associate with is, is being co-opted by, by people who, who have, uh, well, disingenuous uh, uh perspective and, uh, and uh, agendas
2: right well the people on the people who are in, in 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 the scandinavian region meaning you know denmark norway sweden um and such they this is this is part of your culture this is not something that you have to really reach for anywhere you go in in denmark anywhere you go in in norway or sweden you are in the land where this culture, these myths, these stories, these narratives come from. Um, and so it it's not much of a leap, essentially. And and what we find is is that a lot of a lot of the imaginings and a lot of the well, frankly, bastardizations of of Scandinavian or even Germanic culture comes at the hands of people who are farther away from it that are trying to create something that appeals to them um i think uh I, and i think matthias you 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 may have spoken we may have spoken or maybe this was in one of your podcasts everything kind of melts together right now but but um you'd spoke about how like you know you you are now in the united states and and so you come from there and you are around people that have not been from there and the perspective kind of the, the there's a change in perspective a bit because of the fact that you don't have to make leaps and bounds of oh i am i am so and so uh you know descended from so-and-so or, or otherwise I'm like X percent Scandinavian or X percent Germanic or something like that. Like those, those are things that are not necessarily important because of the fact that you, you're already part of this, of, of, a, of a part of the world that, that these myths and these stories are intrinsically a part of and building a religion, reconstructing a religion around, around a, around these narratives were broken off in a sense because of history, because of forced conversions or willful com- conversions, a little bit of both, <laughs> right? And, and actually, there's, there, there was a really interesting book that I had read um, that I love. I love to to tout because it's an absolute fant- fabulous read, and it's called "God Is Not One: The Eight Rival Religions That Run the World and Why Their Differences Matter." And in it, um, uh, Professor Stephen Prothero pretty much posits that religions have a problem and solution. It's a problem-solution theory. And they present, you know, they, they recognize a problem in the world or in humanity, and they offer a solution. So, for instance, in Christianity, the problem is sin, and the solution is salvation through Christ. Taking that model, I kind of trying to figure out well, how does this fit in heathenry? The solution to that that I've come to is that our problem is isolation, isolation from each other, isolation from the past because of this you know disconnect of you know thousands of years um, and the solution is connection and community, and this idea of connection and community is answered through trying to connect these different pieces, not just throughout history, but pieces within ourselves. Going back to extremism, folkish groups and extremist groups take advantage of that connection because then you find your community, but in order to be a part of it, you have to voice a very particular narrative. And that narrative, unfortunately, is very destructive and not conducive to the modern world.
0: So what's the answer (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's a very, that's a very, that's a very broad, broad question, but but
2: I wouldn't say answer, I will say answers. I will, I will say that in the multiple. Um, A lot of what has been done is you've seen different groups such as heathens against hate, try to reach these pockets of extremism. And in at least here in the United States, the extremism is born out of the prison system, which is already segregated and is already very racially defined.
0: Yeah, I always I always find that insane when I you know I'm maybe telling too much about my uh, TV choices here, but when I see prison, you know, prison shows and and the fact that neo-Nazi groups still exist today, and if you you know if you're a white guy and you go into prison in some you know in some cases you have no choice but to join that group, and it might not be anything to do with your ideology; it's just that's unfortunately the prison rules, and and you get you get put there.
2: It also depends on what kind of prison. It also depends how long you're there. Um, and, but there are a lot of groups that then disseminate information out of this prison system and also bring information in. And so one of the answers as to how we combat it is bring the proper information in. If we're aware that, you know, an apple's a fruit, we will keep on believing an apple's a fruit. If someone comes and says it's a vegetable, we'll say, no, 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 no. Everybody knows it's a fruit. But, you know if everybody in the world now declares that an apple is a vegetable then whether whether it's in fact a fruit becomes irrelevant take that model and apply it to ideology it becomes not like the silly example i just gave but it can become serious and dangerous and so we we're trying to bring proper information so that if you are in in that in that environment and let's say we don't even have to go with prison we go to any other like heathen gathering if you are part of a heathen gathering you won't know for instance who is folkish and who is not by appearances unless of course they're sporting particular symbols like you know the black sun or swastika on themselves um or even ss thunderbolts um it's it, you know, and they'll and they'll say no. It's so willow. It's a willow. It's the it's the rune of the sun. I'm like, okay, get out of here. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: but, but I mean, I I always <laughs> find that funny. I think I think some symbols have kind of you just have to let them go. And it's 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 unfortunate, but especially with the swastika, it's one of those that. I don't think. I, my personal thought is I don't think there's any claim in it back. I think it's one that we have to chalk up to history books that that that's long gone and it won't. It will always be known for what it is now, and there is no there is no changing that. So if, to me, if you're wearing that, I don't give a fuck what your intentions are because it, it everybody knows what it is, and you can you can't simply just say oh no it's not because it is that no matter what it is that to ninety nine percent of the people in the world. That symbol is a symbol of hate.
2: Yeah. And and that and and the the argument, the argument that that focus groups and folkish heathens make is that, you know, well, it wasn't that originally. We found examples of of the swastika throughout the ancient world and it and it has been used. And so I'm wearing this because of that meaning versus the meaning that was co opted by Nazism. But the reality is, is that it doesn't matter because the reason why this symbol is so known today is not because it was the, because everybody knew it in uh from the ancient world but because it was on a flag and on a banner that was carried by by a regime that was responsible for 11 million murders there's no covering that up and the other and, and the other thing is is that there are many there are a myriad of symbols that that are out there that i mean Daniel I'm looking at your your tatted arm right now and like I'm seeing I'm seeing that like you, that is that is a cover of with all richness of iconography and so and so this argument for one particular symbol is is null and void because
0: just cho- just choose another symbol just pick another one any any other one. Just don't pick that that one and that's
2: and, and for anybody that is that that will be listening that is worried, for instance, that let's say the runes or the Mjolnir are being co-opted, I will say to you no. I wear my Thor's hammer out proudly all the time and nobody bats an eye because nobody even knows what it means. There's so little visibility in heathenry of, of heathenry in the greater social and religious context, um, to the point where people just don't know what this is.
1: There's another problem, though, and that is what people individually feel. I've, I've, I know this from several of my friends who tell me, especially the ones in California, actually. Uh, so I, I don't you know, wear my Mjolnir uh, visibly uh, because I just don't know if, if somebody would connect me to white supremacy because of it. Um, it is something that, that, that I think hits the individual more than anything else it's 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 as you say very unlikely that if you're a person who's like like me I got runes everywhere and so on it's like it, it, you know the the odd individual here and there might connect some of that to white supremacy but the vast majority will definitely not but it's something that you as an individual have to reconcile with yourself actually more than anything else like do I feel comfortable doing this and that's part of the and that's part of uh, the
2: you know and, and and we we when i say we i mean heathens against hate and anybody else who is working on dismantling the appropriation is because of the fact that a lot of a lot of these symbols have in recent times become not synonymous but have been shown together with White supremacists, and you, we've seen it in Charlottesville, where you had we you had a Thor's hammer together with swastikas and and Confederate battle flags, um, in the same in the same group. And the same goes with um, here in the United States. Um, we have the National Socialist Movement, who in 2016 they switched their flag from having an American flag with with a swastika on it and switch the swastika with the othala rune which is continuing to this day as their logo um and so when you have stuff like that that starts popping up and then and then people are afraid that this is now going to become a norm and that's why there's this push to kind of reclaim symbols and this is what we are trying to do with the exception of course of the swastika and if you go on for instance the anti defamation league's website has a whole list of hate symbols. And if you put Thor's hammer or put um, individual runes like al or Othala, they'll tell you that, yes, white supremacists are using these, but you should judge these symbols in context. They've done a terrific do- job of actually showcasing that it's used by non-extremists and particularly heathens or, or pagans identifying in a Norse or Germanic uh, tradition.
0: For, for me, though, I, I think you've got to assume that people are going to check those websites to check what these symbols mean and my my concern isn't necessarily about people who are interested in this culture and are interested in this community. My biggest concern is the people outside and it's the I think this community is such a small group, but when you see on Facebook like what happened in Charlottesville. And you see on Facebook, the, the you know, the, the scene by tens of millions of people of these symbols with neo-Nazi groups, the people who have no interest in Vikings, no interest in Norse mythology, they, they know no better. So they automatically just associate that symbol with a Nazi. They go on with their day and the next time they see the symbol, triggers in their head, Nazi. And, I, and that's my biggest fear, that these symbols start going down that route. And it's how do you reach the masses of people who aren't interested in this to say look these symbols aren't that they are actually this
2: there's an actual specific answer to that which goes even beyond the mission of heathens against hate but in more of a mission of heathenry as a whole with the reconstruction of heathenry we are focusing a lot of our attention and a lot of our focus inward on reconstructing the faith on building a community which is both can can be as in every other community both Constructive and destructive, um, but a lot of the focus nonetheless remains inward, and very little focus has been expounded outward. And so, this idea of having a heathen in an interfaith gathering, uh, engaging in interreligious dialogue, there's there's very little of that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I'm saying that. The, the, the focus has been more inward and less outward. And so the representation of heathenry in greater society and in the greater religious community has been minimal. In 2018, I went up to Toronto to the Parliament of World Religion, which is one of the largest interfaith conferences in the world. And it was a very exciting time. We had a booth. People came to the booth, but I made a point to, I'm not going to stay in the booth. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to talk to people. And every time I engage them, I found myself having the same conversation. They're like, "Okay, well, what is heathenry? <laughs> uh, what, what are you know? What are your? Do you have any sacred books? Um, what is 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 the mjolnir uh, a symbol? For, is this the sacred symbol for you?" And so I find myself constantly rehashing the same thing over and over and over again. And while that was exceptionally tiring. <laughs> I also found it. I also found it exceptionally necessary, and but it was just me and myself, and so what I've encouraged people to do personally, and why I encourage even the listeners now, um, especially if you are, as I hope you are, an inclusive heathen, is when you have a chance to go. Talk to people, go to a synagogue, go to a mosque, go to a you know go to a Hindu temple, and just you don't don't go there to proselytize, don't go there to talk about heathenry, just go to experience other people's religion because it allows you to also open yourself out to new possibilities and it allows somebody to also approach you and talk to you so if let's say you know my wife is is a Lutheran Christian, we go to church when it comes time for communion i don't I don't partake obviously. But then I have people approaching me, asking me why I'm not partaking. You know, some people are like, well, you're in church. You sat through the whole service. I thought you were a Christian up until the point where you did not take communion. But then that also opens the the conversation up. And so then there's this exchange of information. So somebody who is not heathen gets to know more about heathenry. And it's for the sake of knowledge. And we all know a very famous personage in our mythology that did a lot for the sake of knowledge. And so I think we should follow follow the lead of, of the one-eyed wanderer and go wander, go wander and discuss and attain knowledge. And also when we have a chance, dispense knowledge. And if people do this collectively and together, that heathenry will be able to kind of like elevate itself in greater society and in religious circles.
0: Absolutely. I mean... I wonder whether people take it necessarily seriously as a religion, you know, other, other faiths, like you say, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, do they kind of look at heathenism as not even necessarily a real thing, something that they don't understand? So kind of, not necessarily look down upon it, but it's not taken as kind of like one of those main faiths.
2: I mean, yeah, and there's a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's, and I've encountered a lot of scoffing. I've encountered a lot of like, you know, wait, so you believe in characters that were written in like a book or like written, you know, discovered upon or whatnot. Um, and the, and the answer to that is, well, so do you, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. you, you
2: you know, you, the, I, 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 and, I, okay. That's, an, that's, a very, that's a very crass answer, uh, to, to, to be frank. But no, but the reality is, is that, yeah, you will get scoffed. And there is a particular way of engaging in interreligious dialogue that allows people to have a healthy conversation as opposed to one of criticism or one of like visceral debate. It is work. But if you believe that you, that you want to elevate your community and you elevate understanding, or create better understanding, um, and you want to do it yourself, that, yeah, they will be hard work. So the hard work is if somebody scoffs at you, don't scoff at them and throw it back in their face, but kind of present similar arguments. So when you're approaching somebody from another religion or from another another community, you get to kind of try and ask maybe questions not even pertaining to religion, but pertaining to values, pertaining to the outlook of life. How does, you know, tell me about your religion. Tell me about how, how, how does Christianity fit in your life? How does, how does Islam fit in your life? And then they'll possibly come back. Well, how does heathenry affect your life? How do they answer, how does heathenry answer things? Like how are you able to talk to God if there's so many gods and, 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 you know, this this kind of idea. And then it opens a conversation of, well, the relationship to God and the relationship is different in the way we view our gods and heathenry is different than how um, God and the divine is viewed in 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 the Abrahamic faiths. And so then it becomes less about an outsider interrogating another outsider and more about two people like seriously engaging in this very like, oh yeah, tell me more. This kind of like very, very, Curiosity-driven conversation as opposed to to an inter- uh, an interrogation,
1: right? Yeah, and you know it's it's interesting that you're saying that because that, that I I feel that that is usually the types of conversations that I uh, as a heathen myself have had with uh, uh, people of other faiths when when this topic has come up um, for whatever reasons, whether it's Catholics, Lutherans, really it doesn't matter. Like as soon as you're relating to one another as human beings then then we are having a, a reasonable conversation about these topics. What I've seen on the other hand though also you know i have a, other cultural experiences is that um on sort of like a broader cultural level in in scandinavia these the heathenry also true is not taken seriously um it's it's like, it's like it's a cartoon religion to Scandinavians. Uh, <laughs> it's like why would you want to do that we're, we're like the, but that's also because Scandinavian countries are so firmly Lutheran countries still um, like most people are members of the what is called you know loosely translated the people's church whether it's in Denmark or Norway or Sweden uh, or Iceland um, or, or at least what used to be that you know so a church tied to the state itself Um and and they—that's sort of like the the standard. That's the norm, uh, just being Lutheran Protestants. And um, and then, and then you got a bunch of uh, you know people over here who like decide now they want to like start venerating Odin and Thor and all that stuff. Like, what is that about? Like, that's weird.
2: You you get you get that in the United States as well for sure. You know, because because people associate mythology as fiction. As opposed to understanding the mythology is actually a, it, you know, it's a study of a, of a narrative that is cultural and also religious um, of the ancient world. And especially in Scandinavia, like even though you you have, you know, the people's church or, or Scandinavia predominantly Lutheran, when you study the sagas or, or Norse mythology, you tend to, you know, and, and okay, this is from us. This is from a secondary source from from Scandinavian friends of mine, is that you study it young as if it were a story, as if it were almost like a bedtime story of sorts. And so if, if that's kind of the case of how it's initially presented to you, it's understandable that as you grow older, your association with that mythology and with that narrative would be that of fiction as opposed to something that is a bit more... A a bit deeper than
1: that, I would say yes, yes, with a but, because the same thing actually happens for the biblical stories. We like so like in Denmark, for instance, we have Christianity in, in 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 public school. Um and in Christianity we also learn about Norse mythology, by the way. <laughs> it's it's a little convoluted that way. And sometimes they will even also choose to teach you other things about other other religions. But but it's mainly there for Christianity, uh to teach us Christianity. So we uh we we, we go through all the uh the, the old testament stories, the uh, you know the the relevant ones, like Genesis, all that stuff, and 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 then of course also um New Testament uh stuff. Uh, about Jesus and his life, and that's uh, that's just basic education that you get as like I don't know fourth grader or something like that. And the same with the Nordic mythology; it comes at the same time. Um, and you know, it's uh, it's an interesting uh, thing to ponder, at least uh, the, the sociological uh, uh, aspects of this, and also whether or not it, uh, that 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 has something to do with how Scandinavians also perceive Christianity. Because a lot of Scandinavians aren't, you know, particularly fervent believers, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, they will be Christians, sure, but, but they're not Christians like people are Christians here on the North American continent. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, where the 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 Christianity in America is a very uh, puritanical form of of, of Christianity, um, which I can't really expound much upon. But I think that I think one of the reasons why there might be a but in the in that statement when you were giving the examples in uh, in Denmark or in the schools of Denmark um, is the fact that you're taught, for the most part, that the Bible is a sacred book of divine law. It's, it's the word of God. And so it's more than just a book.
1: Actually, it's, I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to like, uh, uh, add something to that. Actually, no, okay, Go ahead. not, no. not the all word all right. of God, not the not word the of word God. God. So, I mean, th- that's the thing that we, of, of, uh, of our, um, sort of like national, uh, the- theologians and Christian philosophers that, um, they're, they're these are more considered exemplary stories to follow um so so not so much word of God as like word of man about God um
2: that seems like a much a much healthier a much healthier approach to it in my opinion but okay yeah it no, is, like isn't it. It.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no i i agree <laughs> um yes but but no i i I guess you're right in the sense that you know the the, the Bible is considered a a a much more uh valuable document, so to speak, than than these stories that were written down by Snodis Sturluson about the Nordic gods. You know? So so yeah, in that sense, absolutely.
0: Do you think that heathenry suffers from not having a Bible as such? You know, all these other quote unquote major faiths tend to have a book or something that's written down with a set of rules almost of this is the religion, and kind of this is how you follow things. Whereas that doesn't necessarily seem to exist the same way for he for heathenry. So, do you think that's why you kind of get the fractions of people going different directions with it, some completely different directions?
2: Well, I, I, the the reality is that heathenry is a decentralized religion, right? We don't have we don't have a central authority. We don't have a kind of papal figure or. Or a god on earth figure, kind of, you know, something like that, and and having a sacred a uh, sacred text is not necessarily categorical categorical of religion at all. There are there are plenty of other of other religions that don't that they they have texts, but they're not considered they're not considered divine. And there are some religions that have a text um, that. Is not only divine but very particular like you know in in judaism and in christianity yes you have the bible and the bible has been translated into many languages but if let's say you go to islam and you go to the quran technically the quran is only considered the holy quran if it's written in arabic so even if you have a translation word for word from arabic to english if it's written in english it's technically not holy and it can only be holy with arabic as its language um and so and so even even the idea of something that's sacred can fluctuate i don't think that heathenry is required to have that i think one of the one of the fantastical aspect about heathenry is its decentralization because it presents itself in a manner which allows people to feel Connected to it, there's a reason why many of us were we were not born heathen. We converted. We found it. It spoke to us, and that one of the reasons it spoke to us is because of the fact that we left certain systems that may have felt rigid, and a lot of that rigidity comes from dogma and comes from and comes from from precepts that were that were handed down from generation to generation over hundreds of years of people saying, this is what you have to do. And they based those upon particular things that were quote unquote set in stone, namely sacred books. And so the fact that we don't have one is beautiful because it allows us to really focus more on the meat of the faith, the meat of spirituality, which is what religion does again that idea of human flourishing something that that reaches into you and makes you a better person that fulfills your life to its highest degree possible and and you see these transformations with people that i don't think you necessarily were able to see if heathenry did carry some of the tools that That monotheistic faiths or faiths that have or religions that have a sacred text would
0: have do you think that not having that text though in a way allows it to be twisted for nefarious ways like the neo-nazis do um kind of i'm just thinking you know with we'd say like the bible or or any other text you you can kind of it's, it's in black and white almost and if if somebody says something, then you can go, well, no, this is what it says. This, this, this is how it is. Whereas kind of, I feel like because I I agree with you, it's a beautiful thing that it, it doesn't exist, but does that also allow misinterpretation a lot easier because you don't have that text to go back and check?
2: I would actually argue that it, there's no difference because there's been a lot of misinterpretations of the Bible like you you see people that believe that that the Bible is the Word of God, and everything should be followed um there are people that take particular things out of the Bible in order to prove their point but complete completely omit all the stuff that comes after it. The Bible is full of contradictions, and we even see it here in heathenry as well, where you have focus groups that cling to a particular philosopher, cling to a particular uh, the the writings of a particular quote unquote academic, and completely forget that that guy later on refutes that point in later publishings, but they don't add that part in because it doesn't fit their narrative. So whether we have a sacred book of divine law. Um Or the fear of misinterpreting that misinterpretation happens with with texts all the time. I do believe that there is a necessity for structure in heathenry. I believe that there should be a particular sense of structure because I think I think where you're coming from daniel is 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 perhaps the concern of things will be so loose that that things will start falling apart and we will start losing some of the pieces that we have gathered along the way.
0: Well, it, not necessarily that it, it's that people are free to interpret it how they want which is like I say it's a beautiful thing if done in a you know in, a, in an honest manner but it also I feel allows some people to twist things to fit their like saying like their nefarious ways to to promote a hate.
2: Yes, and people and and I and I think that people Unfortunately, and this might be more of my cynical side, people will do this regardless.
0: Oh no, absolutely! Just as you just, as we, I was, I was saying that I was thinking of the um, the West Baptist Church, which is the one that's famous for picketing the, um, you know, the funerals of soldiers and the horrible things that the the placards they put up against homosexuality and that kind of thing. So, like you say, people will will twist whatever to to fit their fit their way
2: yeah and nobody wants that, and it's very and this is why um if you market it really well, people will believe you. people will say oh I, I I trust what you're saying to me because this looks really appealing um and you see it with a lot of the focus groups, and it doesn't have to necessarily be something like you know right out neo nazi it could be something as as like appealing for instance to the male machismo this archetype of this uh, of this masculine man and and i know you you guys had a whole conversation for instance with jack donovan about this um jack donovan is known to have been a part of an extremist group here in the united states and the group that he associated with you know operation werewolf and the wolves of finland they took this they took that archetype that masculine archetype this 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 warrior culture and ran with it it had nothing to do with heathenry necessarily other than cloaking themselves with that with that iconography and including this this archetype of this masculine, manly man, and so this is what they wanted to get out of it. And at the same time, they, you know, the 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 product of that ended up being toxic masculinity. Ended up being a very twisted version of 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 heathenry, where it allowed to, you know, they 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 were allowed to kind of act in a very chauvinistic and extremely misogynistic manner where it garnered them the attention of being very exclusionary. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk at length about, about, about Jack, but I will say that I think Jack has a lot of work to ahead of him. If he really, you know, if he really is out of the movement and, 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 and is breaking away and wants to be a little bit more cosmopolitan in his views and approaches, I think there's a lot a lot of work that need to, that needs to be done.
1: Well, so so I mean, it, well, so this is where you and I perhaps like uh, um, differ a little bit in in our perspectives on these things because uh, what you call toxic masculinity, um, I I am not sh- always sure what that is. I mean, there, yeah, I see I see some problems with certain behaviors. I see some problems with certain ideas of of how. How you should be a man, for instance, how, uh, uh what a man is, and, and all these things that had that been uh, expressed by, uh, multiple groups. And yeah, Wolves of Vienland are an example of that. Um, I don't agree with, uh, a lot of it, I, uh, personally. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm not, I, I, I don't want to uh, necessarily, um, uh, Condemn or or say that it's problematic um, if if a group of of men uh wanna have that kind of relationship to one another and also frame it in context of of, of heathenry.
2: If you want to make men better and if you want to have you know celebrate masculinity, that's not necessarily toxic in and of itself. What happens is that it's toxic when that masculinity comes at the expense of something, and when you enter misogyny into it, which absolutely has been documented and exists with Wolves of Le- Vinland and Operation uh, Werewolf, that's why it's toxic. It's not toxic because it's a bunch of guys wanting wanting to lift weights. And this is actually how they get their members in. They model themselves as this like, you know, a bunch of men, you know, gym club, you know, CrossFit, only, you know, CrossFit for racist. Because when you then join the group, then you begin hearing all this, all this talk and all this banter and then so you 're not just you 're not just being sold a group of men for camaraderie you 're being sold a very particular idea, and that 's what makes it toxic not that they 're getting together and working out, but that they 're doing this at the expense of a group of people, and that 's what makes it toxic um, but in general, like I, I think heathenry um, you know co- going back to heathenry and, and at least to the positive aspects of heathenry there 's a lot of things that heathenry is that it, that it does and celebrates that a lot of people and a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of um, also through worldwide, you know, a lot of them are not in fact extremists, and so there is some beautiful things that have come out when you have inclusive heathenry and 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 and, and practice of heathenry in the modern world.
1: So actually, um, you know, it's it's uh, just going back to the walls of England, um, <laughs> this is also where it gets iffy, right? With this, with some of these groups, because some of these groups have a very, like, macho uh, appearance. Uh, they also have a developmental history. Like, at, at some point, they might be one thing, and then at another point, they might actually be a white supremacist group. But that might not have, have been where they started out. You see, You see what I'm saying is there's a lot of nuance to a lot of uh, these groups too, that operate in this fringe area of, of focus. I'm not sure these guys even knew what focus was when they founded their little group, like in but, Virginia. Right.
0: But Mateus, do you not think that allowing somebody to be in a group that has those ideologies kind of automatically that having that acceptance and not kind of just being like, get the fuck out almost ties them with that brush of being that kind of group. Cause I feel like if I had, Let's let's say when I played when I played rugby, um, if there was like a couple of guys on the team that help, you know, were racist, and you know, I feel like we we as a team would be like, get the fuck out of the team, we don't want you here, and I feel like almost by allowing them to stay in the team, you are allowing the team to then be tarred with that brush because you're allowing that to breed there
2: there's 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 a degree of accountability that I think that that's what uh, that's what Daniel was referring to and and in a sense you're, um, Matthias you are correct in saying okay well you know it may have been pr- two particular individuals those particular individuals also need to figure out their form in the organization itself so if you're talking for instance about the about the wagners who were running the show You know, there's there's an accountability as a leader of an organization and there's accountability of the organization itself to kind of, you know, if you are not a hate group and if you are not exclusionary, um, we have a saying in heathenry like we are our deeds, you know, show us, be accountable to your actions. The same thing with with, you know, other heathen organizations, you know, the troth as well. We we've had members in our organization that 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 have opened uh um up their opinions as uh, as being very exclusionary and we you know we flat out kicked them out so, some of you know one of which was an actual was an actual elder you know there, there there were people who were there were people who were well respected and when confronted there was no accountability and we as an organization had to be accountable if we said that we're inclusive then we have to showcase this we can't just you know you know, slap a sticker on and saying, hey, we're welcoming everybody, but not do anything in order to actually showcase it.
0: Ethan, on the, on the flip side to that, though, do you, do you think there's also value in then having a conversation rather than flat kicking somebody out? Do you think there's value in having a conversation with that person and then saying, why do you think what you think? This is what we think as a group. Are you willing to listen and then? Maybe change your opinions rather than kind of being like. I mean, yeah, get, yeah. Get out, and then <laughs> I feel I feel like some, sometimes you could be like, get out, and then you can almost push them further into the darkness rather than being like, let's have a conversation. This this is our opinions. Let's kind of and this not, yes try and figure it out. But are you willing to?
2: Absolutely, no, no, absolutely. That I, I so I was shortening it because there's mm-hmm. there was a whole procedure to this, of course. Um, but I, I
0: didn't mean just in that case, I, I mean kind of in, in general, general, because, yes. because natu- the natural thing to do when you come across these people is to be, you know, f- just fuck off, get away from me rather than have that conversation and see if you can maybe just- change someone's change change someone's opinion
2: there are many there are many there are many approaches to to combating extremism and when encountering extremism right there's a lot of people out there um who you know their their solution is hey let's go punch some Nazis and you know and it's like okay cool so that's an easy fix at that point in time maybe but that doesn't solve anything in the long run if anything you just created more dissension and so how do you have a conversation the problem is is that having a conversation especially with with somebody who is especially an avowed extremist is very difficult because it's sort of like you you're trying to break a very strong foothold And a lot of the times they would just plain don't don't sit down with you. And so, for instance, that's why I don't fault you guys, for instance, for having Jack Donovan on. I think the fact that you had him on on the show is at least one step in the right direction of sitting down and having a conversation and then working from there, at least laying the groundwork. And if you talk to formers, if you talk to former extremists, they'll tell you that a lot of the time it takes it, it sometimes takes years to kind of break away, and then once you break away, then it's then it's almost like like you kind of you know you 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 threw the veil off and you're like or, or t- taking off the shackles and and couldn't believe that you were there for that long it's much like it's much like addiction you know in the sense of you know anybody that has gone through through narcotics anonymous or alcoholics anonymous it's an ongoing struggle um and it just it's just taking step by step day by day and and having a conversation is how we begin um the reason why there's a point in time where you just stop having the conversation Especially as an organization, is as an organization. An organization is an entity. It's it's almost an individual that is comprised of of, of many individuals. And so, as as in a lead, being in a leadership position of an organization, you have to make decisions that are suited to the continued life of that entity and that the the life of that entity is 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 based upon the well-being of its membership the well-being of the people involved and when you have somebody in a group of people who espouses ex- exclusionary practices or exclusionary beliefs it affects that body it affects it affects the people around and and so when somebody says well you're saying you're inclusive but you know Joe Blow over there is telling everybody how they how they, you know, hate Muslims or whatever. And it's and and so we as the entity have to answer to that and say, well, what do we do about this? Like the body is concerned. The body is 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 unhealthy. And so there are times when we yeah, we can sit them down and be like, you understand that you're part of an organization that has very particular bylaws of inclusion. Right. And if they say, I don't care, this is what I believe in. Then yeah, yeah no, of I, course I, you're
0: out. <laughs> I, no, I I totally understand that. Um, I guess one of the one of the sticking points, of not, well not sticking points for me, is, is, is where maybe I think me and you might not necessarily disagree, but at what point does somebody become like not a neo-Nazi anymore or not part of these groups? Is it at the point that they they choose to leave and take that step to say, I don't believe in this anymore. And that, that kind of mental side where they, they have a switch where they realize or is it at the point where they've spent two years chastising what they used to do and apologizing for it? Because I feel like people act in different ways to different things and every situation is different. And not to necessarily just stick up not to like stick on the, the jack Subject: I feel like he maybe has his own reasons why he doesn't want to to speak out. And and I think all three of us would probably prefer it if he was a little bit more vocal about why he left. But I think maybe there are are reasons he has himself why he doesn't and they are maybe personal to him. And that's not really anybody's business to pry and it could have negative effects on him and his family. Ultimately, the effects are going to come back on, on him and not us. I don't know the answer.
2: Yeah, so so I can't as as somebody who is who is not an extremist, it, it's difficult for me to to speak directly as to the process. I will say that that it is understandably difficult, and I and I understand that that there is there is something that we do in the microcosm of ourselves, things that we personally wrestle with, right, and that is one of the hardest things to do. And it and it is situational in a sense because first of all, saying you're sorry is one thing. Again, that is another step. Um, depending on what was involved, saying you're sorry may or may not be enough for people. And so, for instance, with Jack, Jack was not just a part of these uh, of these groups. He was a representative. He spoke at alt right events. So the fact that he put himself front and center while he was part of it, asking for you to be front and center, to speak against it, to say, yes, I I I was a part of this organization. It's sort of like, again, going back to this idea of addiction, like, hi, my name is Ethan. I am an addict. You know, admitting is is one of the first steps to recovery. Admitting you, you have a problem or had a problem. Um, when it comes to, you know, Joe Schmo or whatever, um, this idea of accountability accountability carries many forms. people can can give outward apologies uh, people can admit publicly yes i I did so and so I was this and that um, it is it is a very difficult thing to do because by saying that you were something that you are not or saying that what you did was wrong brings a sense of shame brings a sense of humility it 's a very uncomfortable. Feeling to wrestle with, even internally on your own, yet alone going somewhere and and putting yourself out there—it's extremely vulnerable, and I and I completely understand that. And that vulnerability is something that a lot of people—that's—that's that's the toughest thing to do. Which is why a lot of former, um, former extremists, extremists that have taken center stage against extremism—and you find this with with people in organizations like Life After Hate. Um, that was founded by former extremists, they go around the country talking about extremism and how they left. And a lot of these are personal stories. And a lot of and, and they talk about pasts that were not just harmful to others in the past, but how they themselves contributed to destroying their own lives. So putting yourself out there carries a huge amount of 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 guilt and weight and and you're opening yourself up and becoming extremely vulnerable and i can understand that if somebody's not ready to do that um but that doesn't change the expectation
1: to do that if need be i mean, i'm going to have to interject something here though because this i i i understand that process and and i think it's a is very in, a very important process uh, um, for for certain uh, people who have been involved with, like, say, Aryan Brotherhood and uh, uh, all of these, um, um, especially the violent uh, organizations. Um, but but I mean, from where I'm sitting, we still haven't really established. And from uh, I, I, I res- respect the SPLC uh, for uh, the work that they do, but I'm actually not particularly uh uh impressed with their research on on the walls of England or or uh heathenry uh, in general um I, I don't think that they've done a really good job at that um uh it's it's uh, it, uh there's a lot of circumstantial material in there rather than actually like putting the finger on a fact here and i mean it's not because i'm at all questioning uh the uh, um uh, uh the the problematic aspects of folkish I, I i mean i wrote a book where i also mentioned it because it is true that uh heathenry is is a, is a uh, branch of racism um that's that's what it is and and and, uh, and and nobody can deny that um but 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 it is problematic when we have these uh, groups that that, that it happens some in uh, some gray area and they or individuals from these groups try to identify themselves in different terms, and then we say, "No, uh, that's not what you are. You're a racist, right?" You see, you see what I'm getting at. It, 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 we we also have to respect uh, uh, self identifications, and then we have to have a conversation about what that means. Um, so that's that's one aspect of it, and 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 secondly, um, again, uh, as I said, it. The, the, the research that has been done on 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 this particular group that we're talking about and uh is 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 if you ask me not that good actually
2: <laughs> well i don't so i don't speak for the SPLC i've i've never worked for the SPLC um they do have people that have they do have a team of people that go in and 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 do this research. And again, if research like anything else has, has some holes in it. And, and if for instance, you, for instance, have insight and you're willing to contribute, I would say, go ahead and contact the LP SPLC and offer them your perspective. And maybe they'll, they'll, they'll look at things more closely that I I'm not. One of the things that, that is difficult is you're right. There are things that are, that have this kind of gray area. Um, and it's almost kind of like a scale where, you know, you you what outweighs what? Um, and so if you look at a particular group, uh, like, for instance, I'll take the the AFA. I'll take the also True Folk Assembly. They are a an extremist organization. They are a folkish organization. They are a racist organization, flat out. But for the longest time, there was gray area. There was a lot of people that were really attracted to the package that the McNallans were selling. You know, this racist package didn't say racism on it until recently, until quite recently. That ambiguity, however, the reason, the way that that ambiguity is sometimes measured is what is becoming, what is more apparent on the surface? What are we seeing a lot more of and a lot less of? I know of a few people that were members of the AFA that left. And they left because they realized that there was a lot more of this racial package than there was on the on the genuine religiosity and spirituality of heathenry. People that join Operation Werewolf and the Wolves of Inland, they might join and be like, I really want to have this this masculine brotherhood that can make me better. And so that's why I'm joining. Great. But then eventually you see that the 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 weight of the weight of the toxicity that's involved and the extremism that involved outweighs this idea of actually hey this is a fun you know gym like environment with this with this you know theme across it so i think i think you're right i think that there is there are times where there are gray areas but those gray areas are measured in a way of what is what does that organization carry more of and less of, and that's how we would be placing it in a in a particular category. Again, I don't know how the, how the SPLC categorizes uh, or the the process in which they categorize extremist groups, um, but with the experience with the AFA and Odinic Right and all the other uh, folkish heathen organizations where you've seen gray areas in the past, those gray areas in the past are only now absolutely apparent. And there's, this, there's a very bold line where you can absolutely see where religion ends and extremism begins.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And yeah no I I just wanted to bring it into the conversation too that you know um it, it, it this is also from a scholarly perspective uh, very difficult to 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 handle um if we take this like broad mass of of alt right right um it, it, like simply label labeling them as extremists that 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 would be uh, in and of itself uh, problematic because You know, some of them aren't and some of them are there for one thing. Some of them are there for another thing. Right. So,
2: well, there's, there's labeling people and then there's labeling ideas and then there's labeling organizations. So the alt-right is extremist, is, is people are people that are coming to the alt-right extremist. You can, you can absolutely say yes, because guilty by association because you've seen people that once they once they realize where they're at, there are people that are that are looking at it saying oh, this is bullshit and walk away. Those that have stuck, they stuck because this idea appeals to them. And if this idea appeals to them, why would they not be labeled extremists? Why would they not? Why would why would they not be labeled folkish? You know, if if I if I have a if I have someone that I know that is that is a member of the AFA and they tell me I'm going to stick with the AFA because I, uh, or I'm, or I'm, I'm in a focus group and, you know, I, you know, I'll ask, well, why are you in this particular focus group? And they'll say, well, because I want to be close to my gods and I want to be close to this religion. Well, you can, you still can without being part of a focus group. You still can have that and focus, focus, Groups and extremists are building this idea, uh, this, this package of this is how we can answer identity. And that's what attracts people. Extremism attracts people that seek to have a voice, that seek identity, that seek power. But it comes at the cost of you requiring to follow the narrative and say what they put in your mouth. You know, but you can still have, you can still find identity without being in a, in an extremist group. You can still practice heathenry and also through without being part of a folkish group. And if identity is what connects you, great. You know, I got into heathenry because I love Lord of the Rings, and when I did my research in Lord of the Rings and found out tokens in you know involvement and in, in, in Norse mythology and and Scandinavian studies. I then started figuring out well what does what do what do Germanic languages sound like and then I heard Icelandic for the first time I think it was uh Eva daughter was like the first um uh uh Faroese artist that I heard but she was singing in Icelandic and I fell in love with it so then that brought me in somebody else might be like well I'm third generation Norwegian and so for them it would be um that would be what connects them and there's nothing wrong with that, and so this is kind of where inclusive heathenry comes in by saying, "Hey, you don't have to have this baggage. you can still have that identity, your identity is not being stolen, white people are not being suppressed those are though that that's the that's the folkish package saying that you know you are you are about to lose your voice, lose your identity and 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 gain some oppression and that's just not the that's just not the case and so you're able to be a part of heathenry without all that
1: mm-hmm. yeah no I, I very much agree with that and i also agree with that position um uh yeah no where where, where i'm 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 skeptical is it's, it's these these classifications and and labelings of of individuals and groups uh that don't uh have a clearly discernible uh, ideology um that you where you can say oh this this you know alliance with uh uh you know racist agenda and and then we say well uh there's still they're, they're still over there somewhere that's i i feel that it's problematic but i mean all of this comes down to like why did we uh, you know uh on this podcast talk talk with uh, Donovan for instance and uh i mean uh I, I yeah, like you, you,
2: you didn't have Donovan. You didn't have Donovan because of his involvement. You had Donovan because he was, you know, selling his book, and you were talking specifically about the idea of masculinity and the and kind of like how it ties into the whole, you know, the the whole Viking, um, the the whole Viking image, um, mm-hmm. that we were talking about. That's 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 his that's his shtick. That's why he was on. Like you, you know, um, I I was, I was bringing I was bringing it to this conversation because of the fact that, yes, Donovan is a very public figure in the alt-right movement as well. That's what he's majorly known for as opposed to his books. But I understand why you guys had him on. And again, this comes down to conversation. And you did start that podcast by by trying to clear the air. I don't think Donovan did a good job, <laughs> but you know, you guys are not in charge of what comes out of his mouth. You guys were having a conversation, which I think is the first step, mm-hmm. um, and it rec- when it comes to categories, um, Matthias, similar to how you have categories in in academia and how you classify certain things for certain periods of time and or, and certain cultures and and all these classifications, those lines of classifications also tend to shift. Um, so if so, for instance, it's, if it's your belief that the SPLC has problems with its classification or categorization which in fact you are not the only one that has that has these concerns raising these concerns with the splc and even better if you have if you're in a position to join their team and work with them you know that that works too we're working with the tools that we currently have and, that occur- and the current tools in place have a particular way of categorizing hate groups and thus far that categorization has worked even with, even with organizations that have had that that gray area that you speak of. Um, so me saying that you know Wolves of Finland and Operation Werewolf are extremist organizations, it is based upon the current categorization by the SPLC, which is up until this point the uh, authoritative uh, organization that does that. But heathen, but but heathenry, and I want to remind the the listeners, is that heathenry, even though we were talking about extremism, and it carries extremism, so does every other religion. But every other religion also has the thing that makes it beautiful and and beautifies individuals, and so and so modern heathenry has also developed beyond folkish extremism into a, a, an ancient tradition that is fit to the 21st century as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's why we take this debate so seriously, Ethan. I mean, it's because yeah, we course. have such an awesome <laughs> thing that we don't want other people to, you know, bastardize like that, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, and and you see it like if you if you see if certain uh there are articles and photos even of people holding these beautiful ceremonies and and things like that, a lot of which are, you know, modern invention, but they also carry with it, you know, gr- you know, kernels of the past.
0: Perfect. Yeah. It's been, uh, no, it's been, it's been a fun one. I know we had uh, subjects to get onto if we, uh, if we needed to that we haven't even touched. So, I mean, that's, that's always for another time. It's been, I mean, it's been a fun conversation. And I mean, I think, like I say, I I, I said to you before, Ethan, I think we're, you know, we're two sides of the same coin. We're, we're all on the, I feel like we're all on the same the same page, you know, we may differ on different things, but I think ultimately we all just want an inclusive um heathenry. We want everybody to just kind of get on and, and and that like I say that's the reason why this podcast even started was out of that idea. Was you know that's how me and Matez even met was through the idea of trying to do something to spread some truths behind and, and get rid of some of the, the misinformation because one of the most frustrating things for me is scrolling through not necessarily your Facebook group, but other—I mean, I'm sure you've scrolled through a few out there, and some of them are just riddled with misinformation after misinformation that most people take as fact and as evidence. And that's why it's nice for for me to to, to do these on some subjects that I can just kind of pop up and say, "Well, check this out. Have a look. Listen to this. You know, it's from a scholar who can give you a, the accurate perspective from it." So so yeah, like I say, I think I think we all want ultimately the same thing.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's going back to this idea of presenting heathenry more often and in greater light to you know to the rest of the world, and hopefully, the goal one day, at least for me, is to see heathenry on equal footing with 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 Christianity and with Judaism and with Islam and with. And with you know, Confucianism or, or, or whatnot. You know, we want to the only way we can do that is by sharing information and dismantling misinformation and building ourselves up uh into into a a community that's you know, that's worth investigating and and, and worth knowing and and this is I mean that's another reason why I, I agreed to also come on here to your your podcast because after listening to a few of your previous episodes as well the 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 focus of your podcast is to do just that and and I think that so far you've got you've done a great job at it, and I think that I think conversations need to continue and with that more more information and hopefully uh hopefully the listeners will also kind of appreciate that and maybe even sit down uh you know, sit sit down, listen to it with you know a notepad and a pen, and just kind of like start jutting down, uh, jutting down notes.
1: I really hope they do that. As an educator, I so much hope they do that.
0: <laughs> I mean, and on that note, that is a perfect way for me to plug the the Patreon account because on our Patreon, we actually put together an episode pack for each each episode we do. So, you know, with with different links and articles in there. for for topics that we've discussed so people can do just that. They can do a little bit further reading because, I mean, I fully understand that I I have the luxury of being able to message Matthias one-on-one and say, you know what you mentioned in the podcast that you said in Old Norse that I couldn't quite understand. I I have no idea of how to Google that after. So that's why, you know, we put together this pack for people um, so they they can go back and see what we spoke about and then read themselves and follow up on that. So yeah, check out our Patreon, which is Nordic Mythology Podcast on Patreon. That I mean, you get the episode pack at the lowest level. It's something that we really recommend, especially for episodes like this. Episodes like Stirler's, I mean, he gave me a bunch of really good links, which was pretty generous of I him. Mean, must have spent a little bit of time putting together all these articles for you know to follow up on the topics we discussed.
1: Yeah, and we also uh, want to give a shout out to Henrik Sturlason. Uh, who uh, uh, graciously donated, what was it, $500 uh, to our Patreon. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. thank you so much, Henrik.
0: I know, Mateus has got a new microphone, a new stand, um, <laughs> some, some bits on the on the way. You know, but I mean, that's why we set up the Patreon. I mean, anybody who watches the video podcast so far can see how much my my setups change from like a little grainy no no lights, the stand, the the microphone being down here, you know, it's changed a lot. So, you know, people supporting us really does help and it helps us keep growing and getting, you know, spending more time on it and bringing a better produce in the end.
2: I mean, it definitely it definitely shows that people appreciate this.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for spending the time to come on. I mean, Ethan, if you want to give a shout out for, for you know, for like where people can find the Facebook group, find you personally, you know, like your Instagrams, anything you want to just kind of plug, promote,
2: uh yeah i um if if people want to share ideas and get involved with heathens against hate um, they can go to our website heathensagainst.org uh as well as find us on uh find us on facebook and um we we'd love to we'd love to have people sharing ideas and and especially especially if if anybody comes from any former extremist groups or whatnot like we especially want to hear from you because it takes deep inside knowledge uh of folkish groups so if you are part of one and you had left you know come on and tell us your story because we want to know more about you and your experiences because that's what helps the most understand what it is and what inclusive heathenry can really can really offer
0: i just want to extend on that and maybe expand on it to to if if you're in that position give me or Mateus a message and I, I think we'd love to have somebody on the podcast who's from that that position and somebody who is willing to speak out maybe a bit more than than is, you know and really give that insight from that side and get that perspective of what it you know what it was like and why they left and maybe even like what drew them into it and hopefully it might raise a few red flags to people who are kind of heading in that direction. And just put a halt to it, and put them back on a different path. So, by all accounts, if anybody's listening to it, to this is from that world. If you want to hit any of us up, whether it comes through Ethan, Mateus, or myself, then we would, you know, we'd love to have a conversation.
1: Absolutely, that would be very interesting.
0: Definitely, uh, Mateus. Where can everybody find you? um well you can always find me
1: on instagram under my name and also the nordic mythology channel on facebook and well i also have a website where you can go read a blog here and there um so or read a little bit about me if you want to know
0: (laughs) i think i think people probably know a lot about you we've had a we've had you know it's 31 episodes now we must be touching 60 hours of material
1: it's about time i changed my name
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you can find me at D underscore farand one on Instagram or the, the company's Horns of Odin. Um, like I say, the Patreon is naughty Mythology Podcast on Patreon. And, you know, if if you like the podcast, please just take a moment after listening to to leave a, a positive review and a five-star rating. It really helps us kind of boost in the rankings. We seem to be getting some good rankings lately, kind of in the history... history um, category i think we were like 60th in the uk so it really does help boost us up and let other people find the podcast see see what we're doing see what we're creating so yeah perfect thank you very much Ian. thank you for spending the time it's been it's been a fun one and i think people will
2: well also happy anniversary again guys
0: you've got the anniversary episode and the longest episode now so let's see
2: let's see how long let's see how long uh how long the uh, next year's uh anniversary will be
0: <laughs> that's it yeah Awesome. Thank you very much and thank you to everybody for listening.